What do you think? I think we're dead meat. Real dead meat. You're dead meat! Go ahead and laugh, you guys. If I ever find a little bastard, it's business. Dead meat. Welcome to the Dead Meat Podcast, an extension of the YouTube channel Dead Meat. I'm James. I'm Chelsea, and we're engaged, and we like to get scared together. We're back this week with the second part of our discussion of his house. Yeah, we'll actually talk about the movie this time. <laughs> yeah, we're actually <laughs> going to talk about the movie. If you didn't listen to last week, I highly recommend you do so. We talked about the history of South Sudan, the world's youngest country. Yeah. As of 2011. Little baby country. Little baby country. And uh, because our, our main characters in his house are refugees from South Sudan. So we we talked all about the history of South Sudan to kind of, I, I think it, it's going to lend a lot to our discussion this week. Yeah, I think so. Got over 100 years of history in that episode. And it was uh, very, it was presented in a very engaging way all by Chelsea while I sat here and nodded and said, oh, a bunch of times. Yeah. But I was really happy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went down just such a spiral of being really pissed the entire time I was researching. There's been a few episodes where I do the research. I just get fucking pissed off. This is one of them <laughs> for different reasons than other ones. The other one I could think of is the, the cursed movies one. Oh, yeah. Because that one was like <laughs> people calling things curses when it's just like, no, it's just It's just life is shitty. And yeah. also, because <laughs> that seemed like a fun idea at first, and then it quickly wasn't. Oh, yeah, because then you just had <laughs> to just, learn about really shitty sad. things that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So his house. Yeah. You just rewatched it, right? I did. I, I watched this movie twice uh, because, like we mentioned last week, it's been a little bit since we've watched it because then we you went down your research hole. And so just to make sure it was fresh in my mind and with all the new information for context, I put it on while I was working out and then uh, finished it up later that night. That's going to be really helpful because I, I feel like we watched it so long ago now. It feels like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's just get right into it, I guess, because mm -hmm. there's, there's going to be a lot to unpack here. Uh, directed by Remy Weeks, we should say. Uh, I think he... I think he adapted the script also if i'm not mistaken i could be wrong there uh but it's it's based on a, a story he, he is credited as the screenwriter okay and there are two other story by credits yep that's so. the 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 two british people oh okay it. felicity evans and toby venables yes venables venables <laughs> i don't know venables probably that sounds most likely yeah this one is available to watch on netflix it was distributed by netflix and it also i believe currently holds a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes yeah I think, critics love it i think it, it it's like a unanimously yeah i like, know that there are some viewers who weren't as fond of it and, uh, you know, as far as a horror movie goes, it is a little slow, I guess. There's still some good scares. There's though. some good scares. It's it's very jump scary. It, it has is. some very There's good some jump jumps, scares. Yeah. But yeah, it's got some jumps to it. But yeah, if you're, you know, if you're going into it wanting just a, a more traditional horror movie, I could see where you might be confused by what is being presented to you. Because this is like we discussed uh, last week a bit. It, it is very much a character driven 
movie that has a lot of historical context to it. Yeah, but then you've got Javier Botet just <laughs> creeping around all nimbly bimbly in this movie. And that to me, if you have Javier Botet and he's in makeup, you're you it's a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's one of the qualifiers, I think. Yeah, it's one of the uh not necessary but sufficient yes, qualifiers. Exactly. Yeah. Let's let's just start at the beginning. We have our refugees in a boat. Um all of the the scenes in this that are on the ocean, by the way, are so cool looking. There are some very awesome shots in this movie. Yeah. Just like breathtakingly awesome shots, including, I believe it's the first shot or one of them, them on the boat. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, I always whine about how movies now just don't take the time often to like, or not even that. I feel like people maybe shy away from color. I think movies are getting a bit better about it. But this movie uses color so well. And not even, I don't even mean in like a movies need more color. It's just sometimes I think, yeah, maybe there's not as much consideration paid to just thoughtful color application. Yeah. yeah. And like we were discussing recently um, the effect of, I think, having to switch from filming mostly on film to now mostly everything is digital. Yeah. And when you shoot something digitally, like we're shooting digitally for this podcast, you know, we have a couple of lights thrown up. Um, I don't know anything about lighting. <laughs> nope. I just, I, we bought these online and set them up. Like we went to film Shined school, but us, I don't yeah. fucking know how to do lights. It's the hardest part of film school, in it's my so opinion. Uh, because when we learned lighting, we were learning on film and it's so much more work to light something on film you have your light meters and you have to get it just right or else your image isn't going to show up yeah you're literally trying to uh invoke a chemical reaction you have to like have enough light to expose the film the amount that you want it to or else it'll look bad so and and what that kind of forces to happen is that if you're shooting on film you have to think more about how you're lighting something and there is a, a, a difference i think in just the overall quality of lighting pre and post digital age because digital you don't have to think about it really Mm -hmm. like again we didn't for this there's just some lights we have lamps on Mm -hmm. (laughs) just so anyway i i think this movie i i appreciate that it's so thoughtfully shot yeah we have our refugees on this boat it's storming out really rough ocean it's at night this is a nightmare uh like i'm i'm terrified of of ocean and Especially Ocean at Night. Among these refugees are our main characters, Bal and Rial. Yeah. I think, is Bal wearing the red hat in this scene? He is. He is. Okay. Steve Zissou cap on. This is the first time, and I I said last time I wanted to talk about the use of color in this movie, and... I, my my second note literally is guy in red hat easy to follow, which is true. You <laughs> yeah. instantly get he sticks out visually. Yeah, in the in the long shot of the uh, boat, it's like a sideways shot of them. It's kind of like a, a George Washington almost yeah. shot, and it slowly zooms in on it. Ball, I think, is kind of very purposely seen wearing red here, um, because we later learn what he's done to get them on this boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's a bit of almost not quite foreshadowing, but just you you know it's indicating something that we don't realize yet. Yeah, there th- this is shot a little bit confusingly, but uh, it turns out it's because it's a dream, so it makes sense that it would be a little weird. But they're on the boat and they hear like a noise from the back of it, so everyone turns around, and then all of a sudden, they're the daughter that they're with, uh, Nyagak. Nyagak. 
yes, Nyagak, uh, she's in the water. Or I don't even know if we see it right off the bat, but then he wakes up. But uh, yeah, there is like something went wrong with the boat that like knocked them, knocked some of them overboard. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I have to wonder too if it's shot confusingly on purpose because I have to imagine in that situation, it's dark, you've got rough water, there's a ton of people crammed onto this boat. It'd be hard to know what exactly, like what is happening, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you, you don't have everyone in the boat anymore. Yeah. But yes, it was a uh, nightmare that he was having, a memory mm-hmm. of that situation. And he's woken up by his uh, wife, Rial, uh, played by Wonmi Musaku. Musaku. Uh, she was on Lovecraft. Country. Exactly. Yeah. She was the sister, Letty's sister. Got it. Okay. We didn't finish did we that meet show. Her but yet when we, we did because she was like performing. And then. Yes, Letty, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So there, there was like some tension there. I'm sure she that's came back right. later, but. We only saw I remember liking her a lot in that little bit that mm-hmm. we saw of her on that show. Yeah, we didn't finish that show. Yeah. But uh, oh, both yeah. her and Ball's actor, uh, Sope Derisu. I apologize if I'm getting these names wrong, uh, but I believe that they are both British of Nigerian descent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yes, they get the news that they are being considered uh, for, I don't know if it's a visa or just being. Um, like a temp, like a temporary. Place. Yeah, they're in a, they're in like a refugee detention center at the beginning of this. I'm assuming like because I think we see later it's like British officials kind of fishing refugees out of the water. You know, there's like flashlights and there's people in vests and stuff. Mm. So I think they're 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 in like a refugee detention center because um, yeah, they they wake up and when they're told that they're getting. Oh, they're getting a chance to to leave, and I, I'm not quite sure how the process works. I wish I knew a bit more about how that works in Britain, but yeah, yeah, there's... that's the that's the thing is that uh, I have a little bit of not really familiarity with uh, like U.S. Uh, systems, yeah. or at least I would you know pretend to know more, but I don't know how it goes over in the U.K. But the gist of it is that they're being told they're going to be put up in a house, and that if they stay on their good behavior they'll be allowed to stay in the country, essentially. It's kind of like a probationary It uh, sounds like being on probation. Yeah, kind of. but uh, the scene where they're put in front of the people who are telling them what's up is so, uh, just sets you up for the whole movie because it's really, like, they're so excited for this chance and uh, they're thrilled and just the British people reading to them what's going on are just so indifferent. One guy's in the background on his phone. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't even care. Yeah. And, uh, it's like how little, in contrast, this moment means to these people where it's every day. This is their job. And they're pretty, yeah, dispassionate about it. And we get that same kind of level of not even condescension, just, like, indifference total indifference. Yeah. all the white characters in this movie and, like, all these White British people. It's not even just white characters. Oh, yeah, that's right. There is a scene, yeah, where there's a group of uh, black British teens who are just... And that's one of the most upsetting scenes when they're so just mean to Rial. I know, because it's a moment where... It's weird, like, being put in her shoes, it's a moment where you almost feel safe for a second because you you are watching through her eyes and you watch her meet these other characters who, oh, okay, they, they look like her. They're, okay, oh, and then that... You know, it's that's how she must have felt too in that moment. It's sad, but mm-hmm. I noted here that in the scene in the gym, this movie is again talking about the lighting in it. This movie is lit for 
black actors, I noticed. Yeah, Which I had that thought too. Often movies, and that's that's a known issue in the film industry, mm-hmm. is that lighting, um, in school, you're, you're taught to light white skin. There's even, oh, I forget what they're called. They They have a name. They're like these Kodak cards that... I think we're introduced when color film like photography was a thing and they it's like a lady's name. This is a Shirley card. And if you developed color film between the 1940s and the 1990s, the accuracy of the colors in your photos were pretty much based on this skin tone. Shirley was probably the name of the first person who was pictured on the cards. And Shirley became the subsequent name of all the women pictured on the cards. Usually they were white women who wore very colorful dresses. And yeah, same with same with makeup. It's an issue in the makeup industry, the makeup side of film and stuff as well, that people don't know how to do black skin, hair, etc. Mm. So I, I just thought it was really neat that this film, and, and you know that it's it's lit considering these black actors when the white actors look like they blend into the walls almost in this scene. They look flat and kind of sick. And it's like, it's it's interesting watching a movie where that's the case because most of the time it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're told that uh, it doesn't really matter whether or not they're good people. Uh, they just have to, you know, convince them that they can fit in here pretty much. Yes. Yeah, yeah. there's really no communication given to them they're put in a van and driven to this new home that they're going to be staying in, and they're not even told where they are. He finds out later when he's getting his hair cut. He has to ask the barber, like, where are we? And the barber tells him the street, and he's like, in London? And the barber's like, I forget his response. Why not? Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's how they find out. There's just no communication. And, you know, that's obviously not setting them up for success. There's also a rule that they have to abide by because they're given these rules. One of the rules is they can't work for additional yeah, they income. give them 74 pounds a week and they can't work to supplement it. Yeah, what so the they're on a fixed income. I'm assuming, you know, it's it's like work visa related. Like they can't be taking a job that would have been going otherwise to a British citizen. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when you're given a fixed amount and then uh, just told work with this, you're not allowed to do anything more. And I noticed also on my second uh, walkthrough, they get to their their house and fucking Matt Smith is there to show them around. Yeah. And Matt Smith, by the way, does great work in this he's movie. He's really good, he, yeah. Every scene that he's in, he looks so ashamed to have this job. He's just like not looking people in the eye. Mm-hmm. He's great. But uh, he mentions that they need to like, He's showing them around. There's old pizza boxes with bugs and stuff. There's dirt everywhere. And he's saying, yeah, you can just clean it up. And I forget what he tells them that they can go buy for themselves, something something for the door. But it's like, yeah, you can go buy that for yourself. And I'm like, but they have this fixed income. I had that. I I noted that too, that yeah, they have, they can't work to get more money. And oh, here's this house for you. Oh, but you have to spend your own money to fix it up. Like, (laughs) yeah, you're just already setting them up to fail. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We are not going back. That's the spirit. They make it easy for people. Be one of the good ones. Yeah. Yikes, dude. Mop <laughs> is one of the good ones, he says. And uh, some other language that he uses earlier when they get there is it's it's kind of a recurring thing that it's amazing that they have the size of this house. Yes. And Matt Smith has a line where he's like, normally it'd be half the size with twice as many of you in it. And just, you know, the phrasing of that, like, twice as Shouldn't many of you, you in Shouldn't you be it. lucky? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, they it is a, a continual thing that 
the people in the administration are saying like, oh, you should be happy that you have this big house. Yeah, it's it kind of that whole this is such a runner in this, too, is this weird envy and just misplaced anger at, well, they get a big house for free. And it's like, okay, but have you seen it? Yeah, when Ball (laughs) goes to try to get out of the house after the spooky stuff starts happening and he's trying to make up an excuse that there's rats and stuff, the other people who are in the background at Matt Smith's office, they even pipe in like, this house is bigger than mine. Oh my God, every single, (laughs) all these like Wallace and Gromit looking motherfuckers (laughs) in this movie. Every single British person looks like an Aardman claymation in this <laughs> it's kind like it's it's really good casting <laughs> this is when we learned they did lose their daughter migrating this is the first time they actually confirm like what the fuck we even saw that first scene and there's shaky cam and stuff and then there's like a there's something hitting the window and the wall like there's so many jump scares around this well part. throughout the movie there is just constant noise outside their house of car doors slamming and people walking by and glass shattering and just constant noise. Like they're never in at peace right here. And I, I was wondering like what to make of that. And I don't know if it was just like to, to, to keep the tension going and it's like never let you rest. Yeah. It does feel, it does make it feel extremely tense because it's long moments of quiet. And then all of a sudden it's like, there's something outside or, but it does always, feel like something outside is going to get them or something it's so no at first you might think so like you might hear a a car door slam you're like oh is that something ominous but no it's just this constant that's what i mean is it just feel and I, i i think that that's just part of the theme of and we didn't talk about this as much last week because i wanted to focus on their just kind of like story leading up to this but i think It's also the movie's commentary on like the the refugee experience in Britain, which we didn't really talk a ton about. And Mm -hmm. but this is what a lot of other reviews touched on, and something I I do think is done intentionally in the film is like just the constant weird soundtrack that just feels like something could happen at any second. I I have to wonder if it's just you know it's like the low level like paranoia that you would have being a refugee somewhere like this there has to be a constant fear that someone is either you know like let's say there's like some some racist kids can like fuck your shit up you're like they're gonna soon someone breaks into your house or someone yeah just the sense that like people know you're vulnerable and are gonna take advantage of that Mm -hmm. or even just the the fear that someone's just gonna come you know send you back or take you and like just that constant like there's so many constants to just always be afraid of when you're in a situation like that and the fact that ultimately nothing ever comes of that like there is instances where you know maybe like someone will shout at them like there's the kids who tell her to go back to Africa and there's there's stuff like that but there's never any incidents of of violence or anyone giving them like physical trouble do you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. no one breaking it and so I think it's just I think it, yeah, just represents like nothing, you know, nothing might happen. Like, you know, you might live your whole life in a situation like this and you're fine. Like nothing ever happens to you, but the stress is the stress. Yeah. That stress is still like, you just never know. Yeah. The worst that happens to them, I think is uh, when that fucking schoolgirl pees on their wall that Riel looks out the window and sees a schoolgirl like 
peeing up against their wall. Yeah. And then she runs off being like, I think someone lives yeah. there now. Yeah. Yeah, because their lawn is just filled with trash. Like, it, it, it is a dump. Like, these are like row houses kind of. It's it's not, it doesn't matter how big it is. It yeah, it reminded me of, so I, I grew up right down the block from like a, a, a bunch of public housing, like an apartment complex, and they were on my bus route to school and stuff. And it just reminded me of the way that it was set up, like the kind of narrow like apartments and the tiny like the tiny lawn. And yeah, it all just feels very lived in. And you know, it's almost like uh, like the courtyard spaces and the parking lots kind of remind me of Cabrini Green in Candyman, oh, well, yeah. just like obviously not as big as right. those giant high rises, but it's that same kind of just like. It's kind of a community there. This first night is when uh, Ball hears some like humming and he's going to investigate and he's like looking into the wall because there's like a hole in the wall. And yeah, he's on the ground laying there and trying to to see if there's anything in the wall. And that's when we get a very good jump scare when he kind of raises his body and lying behind him on the floor is Nyagak like gasping for air. Mm -hmm. And it's just so sudden and loud. And it's, it's a jump scare for Mm -hmm. sure, but it's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. It's, and she has, does she have a mask on yet or no? No, the fiend mask comes later. The fiend mask, yeah. It is very much a fiend mask. Around the same time though, there is like a quick, um, it literally is like the same, maybe right before he finds this hole in the wall, a ball like tries going out and like making friends oh yeah that's and next he goes oh it uh, is next okay it's yeah a, it's when he gets the haircut finds out where he is that's and then, right uh some guy at a church flags him down it's like hey you're one of them refugees we got some stuff for you it's like a box of stuff i that was another when we when we talked earlier about just the constant looming like is something gonna yeah, happen like, to is me this guy gonna that, do something? Yes, i think that guy's delivery was so intentional it is, just yeah. hey you want and it just sounds like, oh, fuck, this fucking guy is going to come fuck me up. He's got like a tracksuit on. Oh, man, it's super <laughs> fucked. But it, no, he's like, hey, come, you know, we got stuff. It's just this constant, like, our, eh, it really does a good job of putting you in that headspace. Yeah, it doesn't, it never uh, makes a point of that being uh, what it's trying to do. But no. it just happens naturally. It's such a good part of the landscape. Of the, and yeah, it, do, it like works so well on using like your pov through these characters eyes with yeah and your expectation that you're watching a horror movie yeah 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 Yeah. and with ambiguous line delivery is Mm -hmm. so that's such a cool way to to portray this kind of stuff without being super on the nose yeah you one of them refugees got something for you after he gets his box of goodies he goes to a bar to like go through it and just kind of hang out. This is my favorite fucking part. Peter Crouch. Peter Crouch. Peter Crouch. Oh man, he, I just, all I want is, I just hope that in the end, like they, they settle in and I hope that he goes back and makes friends with all these lads. Cause they seemed like they were like, oh, hey, this guy's Well, here. once you start singing about a football player in the, in Britain, I think you're. And it's, um, it's your, it's a, it's a player that they're all fans of. And yeah. Cause he's big, he's red. His feet stick out the bed. Peter Crouch. Peter Crouch. Yeah, he jumps in on the second verse and they're Bulge all like, yeah. The sequel or Bulge is no fucking footy hooligan. He's just like burning down pubs. I would watch that. I hope he may. I really do. I hope that's his future. He has like long footy scarves and he has his favorite team and his, his lads. That's- yeah. So after this scene, he's all in on Western culture. He is yes. like, oh, cool. I got a haircut. I sang a song. I live I'm here in. now. Yes. The int- the thing I, w- I I noticed after doing all of my research is so we talked a little bit about how 
we aren't 100% sure if they are explicitly Dinka or not. They yeah. speak Dinka, but I'm not sure that that's where they're from. Especially because Rial does at one point say she pretended to be from both two tribes at once. and had, Yeah, she says, where I'm from, there are two tribes that are at war. And, yeah. and I have uh, made myself appear as though I am both and right. survived by belonging to no one. Right, so mm-hmm. she, she I, I think she would say... Or we could accurately say that character doesn't really belong to a explicit tribe. And I think that's ambiguous on purpose. And also, Ball, if he is Dinka, I'm pretty sure. And again, I, I don't know if this is the case. But I'm pretty sure that he would also have um, scars on his face. He oh, doesn't. Yeah. That character I don't think does. I don't think we ever... He doesn't on his face. And I just know that because he's a handsome man. In, yeah. In that... Does he on his arms? I don't know. I don't. I, I don't remember him having any scarring, which is an interesting. Like that tells me that he is at least isn't like traditional Dinka, because a big ceremonial thing is. Um, I and I think this is. I was reading about both Dinka and, and Nur, which is this other tribe that Dinka are are kind of um, at odds with right now. The the or it just ended the south. The civil war in South Sudan was primarily between those two mm-hmm. groups. But um, his like the Dinka get scarification on their forehead, and it's like part of it is you can't if if you wince or you move, it's gonna get fucked up you know and Mm. so you have to you wear that for the rest of your life it's a test of of manhood and it's it's really brutal and there's pictures online of of young boys getting this done and it's just like blood running down their face and it's like it's really gruesome and like kind of like these pictures are so haunting and like kind of beautiful and like it's it's such a like a weird like i don't know but it just made me think like he can't at least be traditional Dinka because he doesn't have that. Mm. So I'm just, I wonder what his his background is. I don't know. I'm curious. I want to, I just have, I have so many questions for the, <laughs> the writer director. <laughs> hey, want to talk to you about our sponsor this week, Upstart. So if you're like many Americans, you might have credit card debt and a lot of it and a lot of it from different places, different accounts, different cards. It gets very confusing. You have a ton of different monthly payments. You may also be in a situation where you've done the math and actually taking out a loan to pay off all that debt is going to be better for you in the long run. That actually happened with James a few years ago. Yes, taking out loans to pay a loan, it happens to the best of us. If you think this may be the right solution for you, and again, I stress if you know that this may be the right solution for you, Upstart is a great option for you. And Upstart takes more into consideration than your credit score. I know plenty of people who have been in a perfect situation to either take out a loan or otherwise they have money. It's just credit scores can really mess you up when you're trying to do something like this. I've been there. You can find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash deadmeat. And that's upstart.com slash deadmeat. Don't forget to use the URL to let them know we sent you. And here's the fine print. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. One more time, that's upstart.com slash deadmeat. 
he is working from a place of, oh, we can assimilate and belong and stay here. Yeah. And, and he, he says to her, we can start a family. Yeah. Here. He really wants to put down roots and just become British. Right. And she, meanwhile, as the story progresses, uh, begins to determine that they don't belong here, that they would rather go back home. And what I found interesting, I'm going to kind of jump ahead in spoilers, but, you know, if you're listening this far, uh, I feel like in a lot of movies, she would eventually be proven right. They, you know, wouldn't belong there and maybe they go back or something. But instead, that, that's not like how the movie ends. The no, movie ends as kind of all. like a, a meeting place between their two. Um, it, it's like a synthesis of both of their desires because it ends up with them staying there and determining this is our new home. We will live here. We will uh, be here. But we're also not going to ignore the past, kind of like he wants to. Yeah. He wants to just erase the past and just completely assimilate. Uh, that That's best illustrated in the scene when, I mean, he does it because he thinks it'll get rid of the, the spooky ghosts around. But he burns everything that they brought, mm -hmm. including, like, the, the necklace she says that she had since she was really young. Because he just doesn't want any connection to their past life. Uh, I, I like how it's not like he's not a bad guy and she's not like 100% right in her like, yeah. oh, we don't, we don't belong here. We can't be here. It ends up being like a synthesis. And I really like that. Yeah. And that goes to the point we were talking about last week where I think this, a big part of this movie is like, it, it doesn't want to romanticize these refugee characters. And we have a tendency um, to do that to characters like this, where we view them as like, oh, these poor innocent uh, people. I think keyword being innocent, right? Mm -hmm. Which is not to say bad. It, it's just, I mean to say, it's just we we have to acknowledge the humanity of people put into this position. They, you know, aren't just these kind of simplified figures to us for us to kind of ooh and ah over and like, oh, oh no, how sad and. You know, almost like a, um, it, it almost like makes us feel better to do that to mm -hmm. them, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I think the end of this is like just, it's an acknowledgement of the complications of getting to where they're at by the end. And rather than either of them both ignoring this kind of sacrifice that was made in their individual ways, he by just like, pretending the past doesn't exist explicitly saying like we're gonna start a fan you know i mean even though it wasn't their daughter but just this like desire to just clearly tamp down all of that and her in her own way she also wants to totally tamp that down by just she wants to go back just kind of in like a maybe that'll kind of just reverse it and we can pretend this never happened kind of well, thing. Well, that's the whole thing is she's, she says that the, the Night Witch, the Apath, uh, was, tells her that she can bring back Nyagak and like that's what she tries to do mm -hmm. for part of the movie. So yeah, she's like trying to go back to a past that doesn't exist almost. If we leave and repay our debt, it would guide us back to her. Ball keeps having bad nights at the house. Uh, there's that really cool effect when he goes back to the, it's like, I guess, the living room, mm -hmm. the, the front area. And this time a wall panel like peels off. Oh, in it's in the background too, right? Where it, he's like not even touching it. And then all of a sudden this paper just like. 
Yeah, oh, it, it so seems cool. organic almost. There's like, something about something a, out of slimy, a slimy house. Did you watch Girl on the Third Floor? I did. That was a very That's a slimy, slimy, slimy I was reminded house. of that movie a yeah, lot watching same. this, for sure. Same. Just like stuff in the walls and like nasty. Mm-hmm. Even just stuff kind of coming down the stairs. And it's like, yeah, that movie's also, if you if you enjoy like a, a good wet house, that's a good one. <laughs> I, I like my just house It's a really wet. moist house. Mm. <laughs> Just you watch these movies and it's like, man, this smells like wet newspaper. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> he also uh, reaches into the wall and pulls out, is it hair or just like a long I can't tell string. what it, it looks like. A, like a hair rope. Almost looks like it. It's almost Fine. like the, it's hard the to tell. it chapter one drain like mm-hmm. hair thing that or she's in pulling the out. ring where she's yeah. pulling it out of her throat except at the end of this one is that doll that Nyagat yeah. had hands come out and like grab it back in it's like there's really cool imagery in this it really cool. like the imagery is another reason why I feel like bummed that I don't think this movie got as hyped as it deserved like I don't know did it get a, a nominated for awards or anything I don't know what's going on with awards uh, and stuff. Yeah. Like, do you mean Oscar stuff or like more general, genre yeah. awards? Or like, yeah, like big awards. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, clearly critics loved it. Yeah. As far as uh, awards and stuff go, I, I don't know. Around here is when Rael talks to, she's at the doctors and talking to this British woman. Well, well like, to get to the doctors, she gets lost oh, in a yeah. very, uh, you said hedge maze kind it of thing. It reminded me of a hedge maze. It reminded maze, me yeah. of the, the weekend at the halftime show. Uh, like <laughs> oh, you're just running around in there, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is very hedge maze-esque and there's that little kid who kind of like, looks like Danny. Yeah, there's like a little kid and she's got like a red jacket on and I just, I don't know, there's just something about this whole scene. Where there's also some sound design in the movie that remind me of and The yeah, Shining Yeah, this bit. bit remind me of The Shining and she runs into these three oh, kids man. who... They're such dicks. Yeah, they're the three, they're three, I forget, are they, I forget what they're doing, they're just hanging out. They're just hanging they're out. Just hanging they're out. talking out. about their chips. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, those Christmas. chips are soggy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before that, uh, she's walking. When she first goes out to go look for the doctor, which is where she's going, there's a uh, a random kid who I believe is white who, like, kind of flags her down, and he's kind of harassing her. Like, you're not positive, but she takes it as harassment anyway and, like, ignores him. He, like, runs up to her and is like, hey. Hey, and she just like ignores him and keeps going. So yeah. I think that that is meant to contrast with, oh, uh, she sees the these black kids and is th- she confronts th- or she goes over to them for help. Yeah, like she was afraid of uh, maybe being uh, harassed by that white kid who was coming after her. Oh, maybe this these kids will be nice yeah. to me. And so you're right. That puts you in her her headspace. And then they're just like making fun of her accent. They're, they're like, so oh, mean. it's over there. No, it's over there. Yeah, Are you mad? It's over there. That's why that's another thing that made me feel like this scene is like a labyrinth as she runs into these three kids. We're like, it's this way. No, yeah. it's this way. That side, I think. On the left. Bro, what are you talking about? Listen, what, what am I talking about? Take bro? this left here, walk all the way down to the end. It's just on the right hand side, yeah? Are you mad? No, it's like down there yeah. by the bank. They have dinner that night and they are talking about how they are having a hard time getting used to silverware. Uh, well, it, she is. He's the one. Oh, he's all good with pushing it? it. Yeah, because he comes home late and I think very obviously drunk mm-hmm. from hanging out at the bar and she has dinner ready for him on the floor. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this is wonderful. 
but next time let's use the table. Right. And then he goes and gets silverware and gives it to her. And, and, uh, cause she's eating with her hands, like dipping bread into sauces and stuff. It looks very good. Yeah. And, uh, have you ever had Ethiopian food? It's no, a, it's I have It's a similar, like, mm. um, cause they're, they would be neighbors, right? Yeah. Ethiopian yeah. border. So, Sudan, yeah. Ethiopian food is so good if you've never tried it. It's like, first of all, if you're vegetarian or pescatarian like me, it's one of the best because mm -hmm. there's just a whole different variety of things that are vegetarian in Ethiopian food that other places, people, other places, other other cuisines will just be like, here's your lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> but Ethiopian food is like lots of lentils, beans, potatoes. And yeah, you eat it with the, I forget what the bread is called, but you use it to like scoop it it's up. It's not naan, is it? No, it's, yeah. um, I forget what it's called. But you use this bread that tastes amazing to scoop it up and you like kind of pinch the food mm -hmm. and eat it. I don't know if there's any Ethiopian food around us, but oh, it's so I would love that. Yeah, so she tries eating with the silverware, and she says that all she can taste is the metal, which is interesting. It's something I never considered, yeah. you know, growing up eating with silverware, but I guess you would. But it's why um, it's why ice cream tastes better with plastic oh, spoons, to me, at least. That. Yeah. yeah, that's why. Oh, is that why they give you, like, the plastic spoons? I mean, I, I just think it tastes better. Or, like, with the little wood, like... Yeah, thing. it just yeah, because sometimes silverware, it just you can taste it. Yeah, and he just says you'll get used to it. Yeah, because he's all in. Eating with your hands makes sense. It's you know, yeah, fingers. <laughs> oh, you do got and it's fingers. Less, it's like less mess later. It's the silverware God gave you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this is when Rial tells Ball about the the story of a an honorable but poor man who. Stole from others and one day unknowingly stole from the Night Witch. Yes, the Apeth. Yeah. Yeah. And he, when the poor man builds a house using the wealth that he stole now that the Apeth lives there too, mm -hmm. which is kind of a, I mean, it's a parallel to the events of the. Yeah. She says there's an Apeth after us who came from the bottom of the ocean because it's, yeah, uh, the daughter that. Nyagak, who was mm -hmm. left behind and drowned. Mm -hmm. There's our there's our horror movie premise. It's a night witch who's in their house. Yeah. And you know, just like any good horror movie character, Ball tries to take care of it on his own. That's when he burns everything because he figures maybe severing the connection uh, to their their homeland will maybe stop this night witch. But you know, it's not gonna. Oh, uh, what I think is such a funny, uh, just kind of a visual joke. Um, it's this is a later scene where they are eating and she's still using her hands and he's using silverware, but they're eating something with bread where it makes more sense to use your hands, which he's I also, think is so funny. Yeah, he's also not using the silverware very adeptly. That's that awesome shot when they're at the table and it shows her and it pans over to him and then it trucks out and she's gone and so is the rest of the house around the wall that he's sitting up against. This is my against. favorite shot. It's so, it's so cool. good. <laughs> and he's back in the in the English Channel yeah. where they cross the ocean to, to get to the UK. orange. The yeah, the colors are cool. It just looks visually stunning. It's mm -hmm. so great. And he sees like, oh, they kind of look like uh, uh, fucking ghost pirates like it reminded the me of the fog yeah, yeah it coming out of the, the mist fog, sure. mm -hmm. and he looks down and he sees dead things in the water man I, I mean it could be a nod to the fog because that also is a movie where it's these spirits 
you know, coming back for something they've had stolen. In that case, it's like a gold cross and it's oh yeah, it's pirate gold, but it's still the same kind of thing. And yeah, that after that is when he's fucking done with this and he goes to Matt Smith. Yeah, but, but- and he also blames it on the house. It's the house, you know, because she, she told him that story about the, the witch and oh, the, it now lives with us. So he's like, okay, the way we fix this not be in this house anymore. <laughs> yeah, so he goes to Matt uh, Smith and that's when he's trying to get out of there. And, you know, Matt Smith is just like, it, it's so frustrating because Ball blames it on uh, vermin, rodents and bugs. And he says that they're causing him and Rial to be sick. Could we please get a new house? We went to the doctor. The doctor said to get out of there. And Matt Smith doesn't believe him, which one, like, what if he was telling the truth there? But then he's like, I could I could put in a request, but it's gonna make you look difficult, and it's not it's not me, but you're gonna look bad, like you're not assimilating, and people are gonna ask questions, and they might send you back. And it's like clearly we know that Ball is trying to get out of this uh, uh, curse, essentially. Yeah. But like if he wasn't really in that situation, and Matt Smith is like, well, you just fucking live with that sickness, or else you're gonna get sent back. Right. And that's when they're all like, he's got a big house, he shouldn't complain. Yeah, and earlier in the movie, too, when they're in front of that panel, someone on the panel says something to the effect of like, well, you don't need to impress us, you have to impress, and it's just this vague, like, you know, who. so it's, I, I like the kind of parallel where it's like, the people in the beginning and Matt Smith both just talk about this like, it's like it's ambiguous th- the nebulous government. And it's yeah. this weird thing of like these people have these jobs. I think knowing like part of it is fucked up, and they they don't want to assume responsibility for anything about it that is fucked up. We are good people. A yes, if you understand. Whether or not you're good people, it's not me that needs convincing. You're not making any sense. It'd have to be reported. And then people, not me, but people are then going to ask, why is he biting hand that's feeding him? I also noticed the line with my other viewing that I didn't notice the first time through. Ball mentions early on in that initial interview that he worked at a bank in mm. South Sudan. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he mentions it to Matt Smith when he's showing them the house. And Matt Smith doesn't really respond to it. And you almost wonder if he even heard him. But oh, in this yeah. scene, Matt Smith tells him, I also used to work at a bank. So he heard him. And he says that uh, he lost his job when they moved all the jobs to. And then he kind of stops himself. And he's like, when they outsource them. So I think there is. Uh, the implication of some kind of resentment there that like they outsource jobs from the UK to Africa. And and this is where I don't know if this yeah. is the, the true because I don't know uh, UK culture, what's going on over there. But if that's true, then I, it's interesting that like Matt Smith has these, he's harboring this grudge maybe that the job that he used to have that was real nice and cushy went overseas to people like Ball in yeah, Africa. Yeah, and- I, I think it's not even... Africa. I actually, I, I looked up to see where like banking jobs in the UK got. Uh, commonly, it's India, um, another okay, former yeah. colony of Britain. But commonly, these kinds of jobs. I, I think it's just the general like, you know, oh, here comes it. Not even globalization, our, right? It's, yeah. it, he just represents like this, or even. Even if his job doesn't get outsourced, maybe it would eventually go to someone like Ball who's now living there and would maybe work for less. That's like the anxiety of immigrants coming into, you know, in the U.S. here. Matt Smith says he doesn't look well. He's like... He doesn't. You don't look good. You look bad. 
You don't smell good. You smell bad. He's saying all this stuff. Even though Ball, he went to the mall. He, he tried did go to, to the mall. He went did, shopping. He went shopping for like, there's also a weird, when he gets to the mall, there's like a guy in the foreground leaning up against a wall. It's just this constant, yeah. like he's following. Cause he, I mean, it's just the thing of like, oh, this guy is my, probably is going to be shoplifting. So it's just, he's getting followed in the store. It's either that or the guy is works for the government and is like checking in to make sure that Ball is assimilating properly. Maybe. Or it's just nothing. Thing and but it's that's just another of one the of the yeah the ambiguity. Paranoia. It's like and this weird yeah like not being sure like who this creepy person is and that's just what that life would be. Yeah, know? but I think it's fucking hilarious when Ball is shopping for a polo and he's like looking at the rack of them and then the camera rack focuses to the display picture <laughs> yeah. behind him and it's this goofy looking white guy wearing the polo and then. There's like a goofy family where like the dad and the the son are doing like an airplane hands and the mom is wearing this uh, real flowy dress. And then it cuts to him at home working on the wall, wearing that polo and then Rial wearing that dress like he bought that for her. Oh, I didn't catch yeah, that. Yeah, like she's that. wearing the same thing that's, that's in the display picture. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> what is the kid wearing? Do you remember? I think just the same polo. I'm oh, not really? positive, okay. but yeah. Yeah, I, I like that little bit and i like too that the couple times that we see um either of the characters in like a, a store or i forget there's a scene earlier i forget where they're at but not you know they're not in like the the part of town where they live necessarily mm-hmm. it's just it, it's very like just kind of general like nice clean shopping area and it's like they're sterile white they're blinding <laughs> they're, they're yeah. like really weird to look at after you spend this whole movie with these kind of earth tones and stuff yeah it's and it's, like, it's like you have to Put your hand yeah, up, pretty much. I think that's like such an interesting, <laughs> like, it, like it. It makes it really stand out, and you feel like, yeah, uncomfortable in this space, which he does because there's a fucking dude just following him around in the store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, back to that Matt Smith scene where he's asking to to get a different house. Uh, <laughs> Matt Smith like gives him a glass of orange juice. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And he's trying to not say. There's a witch in my house because he doesn't want to sound crazy and he doesn't want to get sent back. And so he's just like grinning and like trying to grin. And this was when I was like, wow, this guy is handsome when he's like smiling. It's like a crazed looking smile, but it is a nice smile. And like you don't really see him smile this big throughout the rest of the movie. So I was like, damn. Uh, But he's like smiling and just trying to hold him. It's like, so you want a different house? And he's like. Yeah, and he starts laughing, and then he breaks the glass in his hand. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a very unsettling scene, and it's one of my favorite bits of acting in the movie. It's mm-hmm. just this tension that he's trying to tamp down, and he's just losing it. He starts laughing because you can tell that he realizes how fucked the situation is. Yeah, that's when uh, Matt Smith and an associate visit his house and see all the walls that he, he's like taking a hammer to the walls. Yeah, a red hammer, I noted. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice, yeah, because think, yeah. Uh, fiend-masked Nyagak has been like crawling through them and mm-hmm. she, uh, it really looks like the fiend mask when she's like goes into the wall. I'm reminded of a few times when the fiend like pulled people below the ring. Yeah. And he's like popping his little head out. But yeah, it doesn't look good. 
you know, their apartment's all yeah messed up. And isn't this when she, when uh Riel she's wearing her long flowing red dress and it's, walks well, out? Well, they're taking pictures of the holes in the wall. She walks she, out she comes with out like traditional it's garb. It's so funny because this whole time Ball is trying to like play cool, play cool, don't say anything about the witch. And then here comes Riel dressed in this like gown yeah. and red and is like, and a there's headdress. a witch yep. <laughs> in the house. <laughs> You're like, damn it. <laughs> she's just telling these like fucking Shaun of the Dead extras like <laughs> yeah. there's a witch in the house and it's going to get us like <laughs> cool. Yeah, when Thanks, they leave, ma'am. you hear one of them be like, she was wearing a bed sheet. Oh, they're going back to Africa. Like they won't yeah, be here long. Yeah. And uh, when they watch them leave, I love the lines from Rial. And you, you still idolize them. You beg them. And then you thank them for the unseasoned scraps they throw us. You eat them up. Why, oh, thanks. You were getting your scraps, and we expect to find it noble kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. you, we, like, there's this, there's this, like, even if you don't explicitly believe in in white supremacy, there's still this idea baked in that, they expect to be, yeah, admired and looked up to because in a way there's this superiority thing and mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That they are the they are the kind of people to be aspired to. Lots of little ghosts and ghouls. At one point Rial is sitting there by herself. I think it's when Bala's out, and she just like looks over and and sees them looking out at her from the holes in the wall, and mm-hmm. she doesn't really seem she's too She's not phased. even scared of them. Any- I think she's just Well, like, she tells him later. She's like, you think I'm afraid of ghosts after everything yeah, we've seen dude, men do? Dude, I've seen so much fucking shit. You yeah. think I'm scared? Which is like, fair point. Fair. Mm-hmm. She's not going to be scared of any ghosts, I don't think. There's a real scary moment where Nyagak in her mask turns the lights on, and she's like standing there yeah. in the light, and then she turns them off, and there's ghosts everywhere Mm -hmm. and i mean all these ghosts and uh specifically nyagak but all the ghosts that they see obviously it's like survivor guilt that every refugee who makes it to the uk or united states or wherever has to be feeling in this movie yes there is like this kind of weird sacrifice made but i think it's just this heightened kind of allegory for generally like yeah in that kind of situation if, if you make it out you're going to have left people behind and there's going to be guilt that comes with that. And Your life is not yours. You stole it. There's this ghost voice that finally it starts talking and it tells Ball uh, that he's a thief and that mm-hmm. he stole life. Yeah, that's and the witch. That's he- the apath. Yeah, it reminded me of Black Phillip. Yeah, it has a very it Black Phillip vibe. It has such Black Phillip vibes. Yeah, and and this is like Ball summons uh, the Apath himself to kind yeah. of deal with it. Because he's like, he's like, I don't give a fuck. You're a bag of tricks. And we're just going, dude, stop at the TV. Yeah, because there's like a flame <laughs> Ball, in front of him. <laughs> and he puts his hand in it and it doesn't yeah. burn him. So he's like, oh, you can't actually hurt me. Pictures can't hurt me. Pictures can't hurt me. And then the Night Witch is like, all right, how about this picture? And it puts him back in the ocean. And I love, this is, again, amazing visual, maybe my favorite. Yeah. And it's showing him uh, the drowning of Nyagak, I think. Yeah, it is. And uh, he tries to turn away. First, he puts his, his hands over his eyes and another pair of arms sprout out and pull them away. Then he turns his head to the, the side and a third pair of arms uh, 
sprout out and like push his head forward. Yeah. It's great. It looks so cool. It's like they they force him to look at this imagery of Nyagak and there's like this octopus that crawls out of her oh, mouth. Yeah, and it's real gross. It's, yeah, it, it's you know he's screaming. Oh, they're just pictures. They can't. But it's like the whole point is they can. They're, yeah, it, memories the, can hurt. Memories you. maybe hurt the most. Mm-hmm. So that kind of puts him in a little bit of a catatonic state, and uh, he he's locked. Uh, Rial in because at this point she wants to leave and he's like no this is our house we're staying and so yeah what a weird what a weird turn on the like haunted house genre where you have one character in the couple who's like no we're staying here and I'm making sure we can't leave like what and it may be confusing after he goes to Matt Smith and says we need to get a new house that he wants to stay here all of a sudden but there's also a scene in between where he uh, steps outside and that that lady their neighbor is like you should just leave like, they're going to kick you out anyway. Just leave. And he's like, no. Yeah, I think house. it so, becomes a pride mm-hmm, thing. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, when he's in this temporary catatonia, uh, Rial escapes through a window, only it's not into London. It's into, like, a flashback in South Sudan. And yeah. this is when the, the twist of the movie is revealed. And it's, it's just, this whole this sequence, sequence is, is so very good. cool. Yeah, yeah, it's this weird, dreamy, like, she's in South Sudan in, like, a schoolroom. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of women there who I I think maybe they're supposed to be friends of hers or people yeah. she knew. And it's great. Uh, it must be great for her because she's back home, like, how she said that she wants to be. They're speaking in Dinka, which is what mm-hmm. this whole time she's been speaking in Dinka at home. And Bal keeps saying English. Come on, let's let's like practice our English. Let's speak yeah. like British people here. Yeah, so we we see Rial with all of these women. And when I was doing my research, there were a couple things that I immediately picked up as like, oh, this either inspired this in the movie, or this is kind of like a, a, a like a nod to this. So I have this article here. I'll put the link in the description, but in August 2014. Women's groups from Noor and Dinka communities have met in Bor, where that massacre was that we talked about last episode, mm-hmm. if you remember, for a dialogue on reconciliation and healing for the first time since South Sudan civil war erupted in December 2013. The women from the greater Bor area of Western Zhongle met Thursday with women of the Noor community who are currently living under UN protection in Bor. About 4,000 people are still living at the Boer Protection of Civilian site. Most are part of a Noor minority that lived in the state capital Boer prior to the violence that destroyed much of the town in December to January. So yeah, to clarify in the South Sudanese Civil War, like we have that Boer massacre before the South Sudanese Civil War and then a big part of the 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 war the South Sudanese Civil War is mm-hmm. there was a ton of violence then by Dinka on Noor. So oh, okay. yeah. Southwestern Zhongle is pre- predominantly Dinka, while Noor inhabit most of the north of the state, and the Mural Anuak, man, I'm sorry, I'm fucking these up, <laughs> and other tribes inhabit the west. The state of South Sudan's largest and saw some of the country's worst violence. But yeah, I just couldn't help but the, the imagery of this big women's, this communal women's group as a, a, a step towards ending violence between these two tribes. It just, I, the imagery of this scene reminded me a lot of that is mm-hmm. this like, these women are, are comforting. Like we see them and there's something that feels fam- like we, we get the sense she knows them and it feels very familiar and kind of, you know, it's like a nice break in this movie, even though this is the part of the movie where we, we learn the awful twist of it all. Yeah. Because Rial asks where her daughter is, and the women say, like, you don't have a daughter. And up until this point, we're like, yeah, uh, yeah, she her daughter have died. A daughter, yeah. Like, she died. But then we learn 
in further flashbacks that um, it, it's a really well done thing because it, I think it's a solo shot on Rial and uh, Ball runs into the classroom frantic and he finds her and he's like yeah oh, she good, you're survived okay. a massacre well, a- yeah he he takes her out of the classroom and the, and the camera pans out and you see all those women who she was just talking to are slaughtered like they're dead all around the classroom so there was a, a massacre that she survived by hiding and then they hide while uh some other people march through the streets like they're hiding out on a roof so mm-hmm. like he found her and and protected her and then they got to a bus that was leaving the area and the the person loading the bus was like this is only for for kids and people with kids and so they wouldn't let ball on and that's when he grabs nyagak and says she's a child we're, we're with her let us on and that's they they they're the last seats on the bus and they get on there and yeah. as the bus is driving away nyagak starts screaming for her mom and her mom is outside the bus screaming her name mm. right as more armed uh it's, people show this up this little girl is amazing too yeah like and and interesting things uh going on in this scene when they get on the bus there's a woman and son staring at at real and they're both wearing red mm. and they they're, they're just staring holes into her like they know mm-hmm. what they've done and uh also Nyagag, i was messaging you when i was editing the the last episode yeah i i i Talked in the last one about how the prefix NYA is in in newer naming tradition, which is why I think the little girl is newer. If I had to guess, and if if Ball and Riel are Dinka, then maybe this little girl is newer. So that's a further layer there. But in newer naming tradition, Nya is a prefix for daughter. It's like daughter of blank. Mm-hmm. And the second half of that name would be the um i forget if it would be like a mother's name or you know it's it would be like daughter of something but all girls are nya and i looked up a dictionary a newer dictionary in gak translates to a quarrel or a argument so nyagak literally is the daughter of quarrel mm-hmm. which is daughter of conflict yeah. yeah which is what you know that you know this this whole thing is very allegorical and that is what she represents she's this like yeah, daughter. So she's, and again, I just love the touch that these characters, the whole time they're saying Nyagak, they are literally saying out loud that she's not their child. Mm-hmm. And it's such a good, I, I love that touch. Yeah, so so we see the truth that Ball kidnapped this kid to get them out of there. And then, uh, you know, they're on another truck and Rial tells Nyagak, like, I'll, I will protect you. And they both failed at that because obviously Nyagak is killed and get a little reminder of that. So... That is the uh, the hard truth of our heroes of the story. That you know they kidnapped a kid and and which led to the kid's death as they got a new life for themselves. It's, yeah, it's fucked up. And just like we were talking about, this is just kind of a bigger allegory for survivor's guilt. Not even in a situation like this where someone literally dies, but just you escaped somewhere and someone else didn't. Is yeah, we have Real saying, I, "I'll protect you," and. If, if Nyagak is this daughter of quarrel, it's just this broader, like, in in our conflicts with each other as adults, we've failed to protect our kids. You mm. know, our kid, especially when we talk about the history of, like, children being recruited into armies. You have the Red Army, our, our Jinka, and I believe the White Army is, is there's children of Noor then. I think it's the White Army. Oh, okay. I forget if it's just kids or not, but I think Ugh. just a broader sense of, like, you know, it just applies to, yeah, like within the war amongst adults, it's 
you can't how are we supposed to protect our kids and there's the the guilt that comes from that too yeah yeah so after we learn about all the truth this uh you know and and back in the present uh they begin to acknowledge it themselves Mm -hmm. and accept it and so ball is willing to Make the trade with the app. Yeah, the cre- the the uh, who do we see him at this point? No, not yet. I don't think. I think it's still a voice. But he says that he can bring Niagok back if if Riel murders her husband. And at this part, I thought it was interesting that Riel is all of a sudden wearing blue. She's like all in blue. And it's a shot of her with Niagok where she kind of imagines briefly like her maybe actually like oh if we brought Niagok back and I'm this mother figure and. The all blue reminded me of the Virgin Mary. Oh. This like, which it, it makes sense learning that the South is so Christian. Also, that uh, Nyagak is um, kind of a Virgin Mother, almost like it's not. It didn't, it, you know, it's like this rack, like not. It, it, I know it what you mean. Child, not I had by, exactly. Yeah, I had this. I had the literal mm-hmm. same thought, and I couldn't think of the right way to phrase it. Where it's yeah, this like. Not, yeah, yeah, I, I see, I see what you mean. But mm. I also noted when I was doing some research, I found this article about um, this group called the Blue Sisters. Apparently Pope Francis himself tried to stop the South Sudanese Civil War by inviting both leaders, uh, there's the vice president and president that are like clashing, that's the basis of the Civil War, to a spiritual retreat at the Vatican. And Although the Civil War has significantly abated in this part of South Sudan, this is pre-February uh, 2020, the, they have a shelter. These these Blue Sisters are a group of women, and I believe from both, again, both tribes, if I'm remembering this article correctly, I don't have the whole thing, but they have this like facility and shelter where they welcome uh, women to live with them. So again, it's this imagery of like an all-women's like... Mm shelter and group and like cross tribal boundaries kind of thing and I, I liked that too and the all blue they all they do wear all blue and I thought that they looked a lot like her in this scene hmm. and uh oh boy here comes the the, the Abath and I was hoping he'd be sexy he's not <laughs> he's kind of <laughs> no, gross he's not Black Phillip he's got Gerald's game eyes it looks like the, yes. the guy in Gerald's game these like glowing red eyes he's really Nightmare. creepy I believe this is Javier Botet yes I think <laughs> but yeah yeah Nyagak was there as like oh yeah with Ball dead I can be your daughter again Rial and Rial's like nah I guess I'll Keep my husband, and she fucking slits that night witch's throat. Yeah, ooh. Now she's back in red, going with this color imagery, this kind of acceptance of this child ultimately lost her life. But if we don't acknowledge that and we pretend that that didn't happen, we're just, it's no way, you can't live like that. Yeah. She even says, I might paint this room red. Mm -hmm. It's just, we've, they, for the first time in this whole movie, Riel and Bull seem like they're kind of on the same page. And we... And Smith says they look happy. Or yeah. healthy, that they look healthy. Yeah, and we see that the two of them, that, that Bull and Riel see, you know, they both see these ghosts and there's ghosts standing behind them. And they when it, it like cuts back to them. There's a bunch of ghosts. There's just ghosts everywhere. Ghosts everywhere, yeah. And it's ghost house bar. They just choose, you know, we have, we have to live with this and... I mean, that last shot especially is so good. It's the two of them, and they're looking into the camera where we know all the ghosts are, and they look at each other, and Rial looks back to the ghosts, and Ball, like, looks down at the floor for a minute. Like, he, there's still some hesitation to acknowledge that mm-hmm. past, but then he does look up 
and look at the ghosts and holds it a beat and then the movie ends. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. And I like that it almost feels like this reconciliation, not even just between the two of them, but between them and these ghosts where... They're just going to live with them. They Yeah, and they, they it's almost like the sense that they come to peace with and kind of understand that these these ghosts that people who either were left behind or in like tragic circumstances, something happened to them, that they know that it's not their fault. Like they didn't do any of it on purpose. It's like they all know where they came from and they all know like what people end up having to do to survive and to protect themselves or protect their children. And what might be of note also is that the ghosts, I don't believe they are all African. There mm. are some, I, I believe just, uh, just shooting from appearance there, there look to be some like middle Eastern. Or that would make sense Arab. because the, the history of Sudan North now, you know, going back before the South Sudanese civil war, North versus South, which is a conflict that leads to, the South Sudanese of a war, it mm-hmm. is very much like Muslim versus. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's not just ghosts yeah. who look like them and the people who are on the it boat. Goes, with them. It goes back, it goes for back and centuries it's kids and, and it's adults. And, yeah, yeah, and I, that's what I we talked last episode about the like tangled headphone metaphor, and I think yeah, the ending of this is coming to peace with the fact that in a, in a situation like this, it's hard to be. It, it can be really hard to be a good guy, mm-hmm. and and just. Like, yeah, it just feels like everyone coming to peace with themselves and each other and understanding, like, the situations that led them to do certain things is ultimately bigger than them and how tragic that is. And so I I like, yeah, I like that. I don't often watch movies twice just because I have so many movies to watch, but I really didn't mind watching this one twice. And uh, it's it's not like, you know, you would think that a movie like this would be long. It's not. It's It's like 90 minutes. It's well-paced. And it's also, like... It is it is devastating and the the history it's dealing with is really tough and the subject matters but for some reason I don't feel overly burdened by that watching it yeah. like there cuz it's well, there so are fantastical some... and it knows when to be funny Yeah there and... are some light, some light moments to help ease yeah. the tension it's beautifully shot the the lead actors are so good and so good to follow and so it's not like uh, it's not drudgery to watch no, you know no no it's not it, it doesn't feel like a a uh homework assignment no to watch it it's an enjoyable movie and uh i'm really glad mm-hmm. that we covered it well cool uh we'll have something else for you next week but uh in the meantime you can follow dead meat on social media at dead meat james on twitter and instagram and i'm at carebeck c-a-r-e-b-e-c-c on twitter and instagram yeah check out that subreddit if you want and email deadmeatpod at gmail.com if you want yeah uh, when does this go up next Tuesday? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> go great, grand. <laughs> Until next time, I'm James. I'm Chelsea. And this has been the Dead Me Podcast. Mm-hmm.